Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com. Hi, this is Frank Bray. Welcome to Tell Craig a Story. See you in the funny papers. gotten married in 2000 actually had the ceremony hadn't had the license yet we went on a, my ex-wife is French so we went on a, we went for a month in France just traveling around France and she took me to her favorite places and yeah it was very cool super I love France and we had gotten uh, a guy that I worked with in um, in Prospect Park Carl who became a really good friend of mine, and I, I was hired to work at, at his and his wife's house because it was one of those old brownstones. So I did a bunch of wood work for them, and then I lived close, so we just became like beer buddies or whatever, you know. And he he was uh, uh, good with his hands and carpenter and actually a dance instructor who, when I met him, had just spent six months in Beijing. Right. This is like in 88. Wow. And... We had we we became very good friends. She she owned a magazine called the Old House Journal that was about renovating old houses and all that, and it was very successful. Mm. Between eighty eight and two thousand, they had left and moved to Gloucester, uh, Massachusetts, which is just north of Boston, and they bought this huge old rambling summer house on the ocean, which. I mean, I think my apartment in here in China is like Swiss cheese, but this thing had the wind blowing through. <laughs> and o- over the years, they'd renovated into this beautiful, really fine house, right? And so I would go up there and visit them from time to time because it was just so lovely up there. And lobster and, yes. you know, air. And so we went up there to get married. So we had our... our ceremony there on their property overlooking Bass Rocks Beach which is you know, the Atlantic
Atlantic and all that. Yeah. So we had that lovely ceremony and then we went to France and da 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 and got back in October, September. Okay. So immediately I get back pretty much I have an attack of appendicitis. And so on 9-11, I, had, I was in the hospital for three weeks because they screwed up the, the appendectomy and I ah. had some major infections. So in the middle of that, 9-11 happened. So it's the, I'm home after the first week or 10 days I was in the hospital because an appendix is the simplest operation you can probably have and they messed it up. Screwed up. Well, my appendix ruptured. So, if you ever want to know what it feels like to have a baby, it must feel like your appendix rupturing. Right. I had been home for two days before 9-11, and I had an abscess. In the morning of 9-11, I woke up, and I was like, I don't feel so good. You know, I mean, I can walk around and all, but I just... And I said, baby, why don't, why don't you stay home and take care of me, because I, I don't feel so good. She's like, oh, you'll be all right. She was working at the United Nations. So I said, okay, I'll walk you down. And we lived in a pretty nice building on 85th Street that I had renovated for us. The doorman says, well, you know, some kind of little plane ran into the towers. And I'm like, well, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I send her off and I go, then I go back upstairs and we're on the, we're on the 11th floor, top floor of this building turn on the TV and I'm like, oh, what the hell? What's going on? And I'm not feeling any better. Yeah. So I go up on the roof and all this stuff is, it, it, all this stuff transpires in a very short amount of time. Finally, I go up on the roof and I'm looking down south. This is 85th Street, but it's not that far, you know, as a crow's mm -hmm. fly. Mm -hmm. And I, and then there's this oh, smoke fine. and whatever, the, you know, coming up and, and uh, all the phone lines go down. Mm. And she had made it to work. And they thought that the UN would be the next place it'd strike, if whatever this was. Yes. And they closed all the subways, and, and, and there was no cell service. I couldn't call her. And so here I am, getting septic. And I'm like, well, hmm. <laughs> Well, what's going to happen today? What are you going to do? <laughs> so I just hung at home. You know, I thought, okay, I'm, I can hang on. Nothing's going to happen immediately. And she walked from the UN back to our house. Because everybody did. Yeah. I mean, everybody was walking north, yeah, right? Yeah. Away from there. I don't know, one thirty in the afternoon, she got back. And I'm like, you're taking me to the hospital. And so we go to Lenox Hill, where I eventually ended up spending more of a month, more than a month in the hospital bed there from an appendicitis. Wow. Um, and it's the afternoon of 9-11. So it'll be packed. So when I get there, I guess we got there about three because we couldn't get a cab and I think there was some cell phone service, but I think we just hailed a cab. Hmm. And everybody's pulling together, trying to help each other and all this, right? So I finally get to the hospital. There's nobody in the emergency room. There's one cop and one policeman that are all covered with stuff, sitting there. And why they were waiting, I don't know. Mm. And then 
they take me in and there's 20 doctors because they figure there's going to be all these casualties, right? And there weren't any. And so that's the night I went back into the hospital. They put a thing down my throat and all this stuff and then they had to drain this abscess and I had a massive fever for a week and my, Mm. my mother's calling me and you okay and... And then nothing happened that night. No people came, you know. Uh, and around 10 o'clock at night, then this acrid smell of plastic and basically burned, we won't describe what, mm. this cloud that is so intense that it, you can smell it inside the hospital just moves its way up north. And... My wife was also eight months pregnant. Uh. <laughs> wow. So what a time! So I literally I had three abscesses. That was the second one. They let me out again. I had another one. They took me in again, and while they when they drained this one, they perforated my colon. Mm-hmm. So then when I get over that fever and that I leave the hospital with a colostomy bag. Like, you know, go staff, go staff. Yeah. Two days after I get home, I go back to the same hospital, and my my first son is born one floor above where I was for a month. <laughs> wow. We all make it home together, finally, in a couple of days, and uh, I can finally take out, and then I have to go back, and I got rid of the colostomy bag, and... It was quite the conundrum. Yeah. It's all happening for you at that stage. (laughs) So, and then after I recovered, uh, I met my friend Kev and we just, we bought a couple of cigars and took the train down to Ground Zero and and just, he and I walked as as close as they would allow you all the way around. Mm. It was boarded off and got a beer at one of the pubs and and it's quite the spectacle. Mm. Yeah. I remember going there in uh, 2011, and that was the 10-year anniversary. Mm. And going from Sydney to New York, there was nobody on that flight because <laughs> there was all... They thought that it was going to be like Fort Knox, like getting into New York. Like uh, they had all the tributes... And oh, uh, yeah. the president was there, and it was empty. Mm. No one wanted to go on a flight into New York. Mm. So uh, I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. I'll just uh, relax. Yeah, no problem. Like, obviously, the security was really, really intense, but, yeah. I mean, and, and, and just that, that happening destroyed so much business. Back to the oh, music. Yeah. Like... Every boutique boutique shop or small music venue or mom and pop that didn't have six months of of you know resources to float themselves evaporated. They closed. I had a good friend, uh, Savoya, lovely clothing designer guy. He's the guy I did the fashion show in New York with. Right. All his clients were Wall Street guys. Yeah, and he had to close his shop. Damn. So how, how long did it take for it to get back to normal the swing of things? You said six months, was it? 
Well, not for the subways to run and what, you know, they isolated the area and the town pretty much went back to normal, but it stunk forever. Yeah. A, l- a lot of the, you know, people didn't come into New York mm. for a long time. So it was basically all this local people in Manhattan and it, it really, it hurt severely economically mm. and uh, it was just, it was just the, the psychic uh, impact of it, you know. Yeah, right. And I remember like taking my kids back to preschool and whatever, you know. That resumed pretty quickly. Yeah. But uh, it took a long time for for the city to get over the hangover. Right. So 2007, you said you stayed there till. But I'm also reading here that it said that you also lived in uh, Geneva and France so mm. was that the next journey that was the next stop right so why did it change well, like, after, it seemed like you had a family and like a after like, 9-11 the, the, we decided to sell our apartment and we were fortunate because it, we were on the on the top floor and the neighborhood had bought the, the apartment next door bought our apartment to put the, par- the apartments together mm. and they did and they had they had uh, the two top floors and one down they had a huge apartment after it was all put together super okay. super nice and so we got a really good price on the apartment and i've done some minor renovations renovated the bathroom and, uh, and um so we bought another apartment in the building and from 2003 renovated that apartment and moved the family into there mm. in the same building. Right. And I designer built that. I took a year off and just did it all myself. Mm. That was really sweet. Then my wife got a promotion to the UN in Geneva. And I was a I was being a project manager for uh, New York construction. And uh, but not doing much music and you know, my friend Vinny and I after after nine eleven we would we would just drive around looking for places to play. Right. We'd spend one night a week and there wasn't anything. And he'd come in from New Jersey and pick me up and we'd go we'd go checking out the spots and whatever. It was just very slim pickings. And well, what was that? Was it because of the the uh, show of us? I think I, I I think the, the impact of nine eleven just kind of killed the music. Mm. At least in our world, you know. I mean, there was Lincoln Center and all that, oh, course, but yeah. that's that's another level. Yes. So when that opportunity, well, we had taken in two thousand five, we moved to Hawaii for a year mm. because we had my second, uh, my third son she got six months of leave. And I said, well, my brother lived in Hawaii, so I said, let's go out there and and I'll build houses and you have the baby and it's awesome. And we rented out the place and went out there. It didn't work. She didn't like it out there very much. Uh, Did you? I loved it. Yeah? It was, it was, it rejuvenated me. Right. I mean, it's so organic. Yeah. Like the air, the, the mountains, the sun, you know. Yes. After being in New York for 15, 16 years, 
it was like a rejuvenation. Pleasant change, yeah. yes. And I made some good friends, and, and I was really good at what I did. And I spent, a, I spent six months just building a house on a Nini beach with a crew. So you show up, jump in the ocean. Right. You know, go to lunch, jump in the ocean. Yes. Get off work, jump in the ocean. That's it it was lovely. Yeah. And like fresh fish, and go to mm. the fish market for lunch, and it's amazing. Yeah. And she, <clears throat> I think she got a bit depressed because she's quite a quite the city girl, the culture girl. And I thought it might be okay because it was just. I mean, we had. I rented finally rented a house overlooking Bali High. Right. It was on a golf course. Oh. You know, and it was it was real cool. Yeah. And I. Uh, I had gotten some insurance money, and before we went, I, I, I flew to Iowa, and I bought a, a, a 4x4, a 71 Chevy 4x4 pickup, and I shipped it to Kauai. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had the truck that was value for anybody that wanted to hire me, because I could haul stuff and all that, and it, it, was, it was crazy cool, yeah. very cool, 427. <laughs> it sounded like a stock car when you right. lit it up. <clears throat> and the kids love that. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just enjoyed the hell out of it. But about six months in, she said, well, I'm going to take the kids and go to France. And, and you wrap it up here and we'll meet in New York. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's it. And so her dad came and, and they all flew back to France and and I stayed there and continued to work and packed everything up and sold the cars and, you know, until left on the same exact day, July 5th, as I arrived. And then I uh, went to, uh, flew back to France. So tell us about France. Well, country boy from Oklahoma. Well, I went back to New York and I got, I got, I took my job back as a project manager. Right. And then within a year from that time, we had this opportunity and we weren't doing so well. And I thought, well, you know, maybe if I moved to France and I, I, I'd just like to go to, mm. and New York's not what it used to be. And. And so we just kind of packed up and went. And I said, I'll raise the kids. I'll take care of the kids and you get your job. And maybe this would help us to get our relationship back together. And yes. yeah, it didn't. So that didn't really work out. But I really have a strongly cemented relationship with my kids. Right. Because there's several years where I just, you know, I made their breakfast, I took them to school, I picked them up, and and it was very formative years in their lives. Yes. And I love France. The, America is beautiful in a different way, but France just has this loveliness about it, and the yes. food and the, the people, and been all over it. It was a great experience. But ultimately, we couldn't get along. And so, my boys grew up there. In the Fair Naval Terre, which is just across the border from Geneva. And I had the opportunity to come here because I had done a 
I had done a show in uh, in in ninety four ninety five. I made this my first record, and I was doing the shows at the the Triad on Seventy Second Street and Broadway. And the guy Peter, who was a good friend, had gone to this show. It was called Dutch Wiseman's, and he said, "Hey, this guy's pretty good. He'd probably be a good part of your show." So I go there and I sing for him, and they're like, "Yeah, come on." So this is this is a speakeasy show. It's not legal, and I mean, it's, it it was a vaudevillian show, not like a stripper show, you know. Right. Yes. So it wasn't so seamy, but it was racy. Mm, yes. And so they hired me as like the legitimate guy. So I put on the tux, and then. I, after all this zany craziness, clowns and, you know, whatever, girls doing their acts, <laughs> I would come out and sing a couple of standards, you know? Yes. And uh, it was it was a nice juxtaposition. Mm. And so we, we did that first in 94, and we did that same show. We did five or six of them from then until uh, till I left. That guy, uh, Norman Gosney, called me when I was living in uh, in France, 2008 or something, said, hey, I'm, I'm in Shanghai. I'm going to do a club here. You should come visit. Right. And I loved it. Yeah. You know, it was just going off. What New York used to be, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. And uh, so that's, when, that's when, how I came to Shanghai. So when he asked you, was the, oh, Shanghai, you know? <laughs> Not on the top list of places to go, or never thought about it. Yeah, I always wanted to go to Australia, right? You know, or a lot of other places, but yes. China. I don't yes. Know, like, I don't know. yes, I just thought, wow, this is here, and they had been here for a year or so, right. and so they'd already like cemented some really nice relationships, and and they just showed me the town. I mean, we went to you know a a Gucci fashion show to start, you know, right. and some big champagne party at Shintandi where I'd never seen so much champagne in one room in my life. <laughs> and that was just the first two days. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll, here we go. <laughs> and so he's like, I'm going to build this club. And they showed me the building. There was, there was Chinatown. It's called Chinatown. So he took me to the site. Um, the site is now... The Pearl. Right. But back then it was chained up and the door was chained and it wasn't chained very tight and I was skinny then. So I opened it up and I shimmied through between the doors and walked inside. So, and it was dark. It was just pitch black. Yeah. And <clears throat> all you could see is the medallion in the foyer and the piece of the stairs and then it was just total darkness and you didn't want to walk in there. Yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> so I was the first one in the building, even before them. And, and uh, when I returned in 2009, it was all just done. And they had gathered a team of, of players and threw me in the mix and we started rehearsing in May of 2009 and put the show together and opened to in October or September, whatever. Wow. But uh, that show, Dutch Wiseman's, is, it's, it's, it's attributed with bringing burlesque back to 
mm. New York. And after that show, uh, you know, a lot of spin-offs came, you know, like the Pontani sisters. The Pontani sisters. The two sisters that do their thing, you know. I think they're still doing it. Right. Last time I, I, I think I emailed Angie three years ago or so. They're working in Coney Island. Right. And, uh, but the, the show's evolved or devolved into, uh, you know, like you got the slipper room. I don't know what else is there now, but I think the slipper room's still there. But the, the shows seem to get raunchier and less classy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, wasn't interested in that. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I came to Shanghai. Shanghai. Wow. Because they had it all going. Uh, all the media, international media, it, it flew really high for almost a year. Because 2009, like, I, it's grown so much since 2009, right? Like, I, I only come here a couple of years ago, but... I was told from 2009 to now, the city's just population-wise, you know, entertainment-wise. I'm not sure. I mean, things have become more conservative, but more legitimate. You know, back to the seamy side. Yeah. And uh, there there are things that we would do at the Pearl eight years ago that we won't do now. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically that the government just started requiring what other governments do instead of it just being the wild, wild west, you know? Yes. It was, you know, pretty hit and miss back in the days. And, and now there's a, it's more respectful, I think. So how did you become, like, part owner of, the, of that, the pearl? Well, during the very short-lived life of Chinatown... I just sort of got introduced as the jazz event guy, male singer. There weren't any. You know, there just weren't any. And so when it when that all cratered, uh, I just I worked on events for you can see, you know. Yeah, I've got I've just got a list here. <laughs> I've been to twenty five different cities across China. And throughout Asia, uh, regularly working at venues such as Heyday, the Blue Note Shanghai Jazz at Lincoln Center, and you're also a part of uh, Summer Palace, Forbidden City, and was a part of the Olympics in <laughs> Beijing for the opening and the opening show for the Shanghai Film Festival. Wow! So yeah, it, directed the opening show for the Shanghai Film Festival. How did that all come about? We did it. Well, we would. They came to us because we do events at the Pearl, you know. Yes. And so, put together all the dancers and people. What do you want to see? Da 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 da. And off we went. Right. And had you had experience being like a producer as well, like a? I. What is that? <laughs> like you, a manager or I something. Mean, I, I, you I feel like I'm a conduit for entertainers, you know. Right. People will come to me all the time and say, well, we need somebody for this, we need somebody for that. How many, you know, I was like, what do you want? Mm. You want four dancers and a dwarf, you know. Well, I can do that. And what kind of style of show, you know. Yes. You want the big band, you want a small band, you want girl singer, da-da-da, because in the time that I've been here, uh, I know the network. And then when you have a place like the Pearl, people... 
uh, give you some respect because you have a place, right? Yes. And so we put together shows. And and how did how did is it the same thing for the Olympic Stadium in Beijing? I sang at the Olympic Stadium in Beijing for uh, the tennis for a tennis play Olympic tennis player ch- champions wedding. Lang Lang, Ling Ling. But he uh, evidently fell on hard times or had some sort of political problem. Right. Uh, but that's how I got into the Olympic Stadium. And they did they did this huge production because it was right off the Olympics, right? Mm. And uh, so we would have been. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I hope. I mean, there's scuttlebutt that uh, I may be... Uh, have a spot at the upcoming Olympics. Wow. And that would be really cool. Mm. Anyway, so what happened with, with the Pearl? So you have this venue that's all built out and, and just been sealed up for two years, you yes. know? And so once it, it was only open, literally only open for a year and a half. And, you know, we've been open for almost eight. But it was just sat there. And in Hong Kong and sort of forgotten, right? Because mm. Hong Kong is not a focal point of the, the Shanghai yeah. scene. Yes. And so I wanted to get investors together to open it. No one wanted to invest over there. Uh, like I went to all the major club people and, and they're like, Hong Kong? Nah. And I had... You know, since I had been there day after day after day, I'd, I'd seen what was going on. And with my experience in building and whatever, I could see the infrastructure happening. You know, like basics going in. And I knew, like, there would be a subway. And and now it's just like, it's like Rodeo Drive over there. Yeah. You know, Sichuan uh, Lu, Gucci, Gucci, you know, whatever. And... We kind of hung it up. I, you know, Glenn and I put together a proposal and we shopped it around and nobody was interested and we didn't have enough money to open it. And, and so I was just doing my singing and he had a, he's had a booze importing business. Right. And Granto had been an investor in the former Chinatown, which was not pretty. <laughs> so uh, a theater company came to me, East West Theater, and I, I don't even know if they're still producing anything or not. I, I ran into them a couple of days back. They wanted to produce the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and they said, can you get us in that building? Is it still there? Is, you know? And I didn't even know if it, they hadn't ripped the interior out of uh, it. Who knows, you know? Uh, they said, we, well, here's your budget. You have 35000 that we put together for light, sound, stage, and some place to rent. That's that's what you got. Run. And so I went to the the landlord, Mr. Wing. I was one of the only people that survived the thing, you know? Like, all the people that were on the business side of it had to leave the country. Mm. And he, he had a bad taste in his mouth, but he'd always like me because I was a singer guy. Right. So I went there and knocked on his door and I said, uh, Mr. Lee, 
hey, Mr. Lee, uh, how are you? So, oh, how are you? And he was happy to see me and all that. Shabby little office, like up on the second floor behind the the, the building. But he he had always been nice. He's a nice guy. He just the, they weren't nice. Yeah. And um, I said, hey, I have this money. We, you know, can we rent the place for six weeks? We'll dust it off, clean it off, if it's still viable. Mm, yeah. And he says, oh yeah, it's just sat there. And so that's how we got in. When I when I set that up, I went there with a with a translator, right? Sat it, set up the deal, and then I called Glenn and I said, "Hey, I got this deal. I'm gonna need some alcohol." And he said, "Do you want my help?" I said, "Yes." So then we go back in, and it's just literally like like an atomic bomb went off, and it was suspended in, you know, time. I mean, there were still glasses on the table and bo- <laughs> bo- boas on the table. And it's literally like everybody just walked out and shut the door. Yeah. And, uh, but so much dust. Oh, yeah. And so we hired a team of 10 IEs and paid them to clean for a week and then started rehearsals and turned the lights on and, Everything kind of worked, not too good, but it was okay. And the the important thing to them was the atmosphere. You know, they right. just thought it was perfect for the show. Yes. And off we went. Glenn and I had a meeting with the with the head of the sports bureau, who is the was the manager of the building before they would let us in. And so we we go way out into Pudong. First, we were gonna have dinner at some place in Shanghai, and he's like. No, 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 no. We we can't meet in a bar. Let's go to... I'll, I'll give you an address in Pudong. Yada, yada. So I, I get in a cab and have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> speak absolutely no Chinese except Ijazo. And an hour from my place, way out beyond the lights of Pudong, I'm just like, where the hell am I going? So the taxi... I'm surprised the taxi even knew where he was going. Right. Taxi pulls into this uh, basically a used car lot, a place with garages along one side, a bunch of cars parked. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna die, or this is gonna be awesome, one or the other. And he, and then he keep, continues to drive through the parking lot, and at the end is this little like faint glow of light, and there's this big wooden Chinese arch. And then the guy's like, you know, dollar. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out. <laughs> and I just walked up, the, followed the light, right? Because I had no directions. Yeah. And uh, it was a little little restaurant with a beautiful little pond and, and uh, a, a great uh, uh, wine room. And this was uh, the brother of the... Chief, we just basically sat down and said, you know, the, we we want to use this building. This is what we want to do. This is what it was before. And Glenn came up with the best line, though, was, which is uh, the 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 most important thing is not us, but the building. Right. <laughs> and uh, I got to give him credit for that. So then we then we started, and we had no marketing budget. We had 
spit and chewing gum, <laughs> bailing wire and duct tape. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's um, eight years ago in October. Right. And the show was great. Anyway, so the chief's like, yeah, sounds good. And I had, gosh, Yaya. He was a manager at the, at the Shanghai Concert Hall, and we had worked together. And he had been with the, the police department in Hong Kong, and he, he's the one who can help connect the political side of it, right? But basically introduced me to who you need to know. Right. And, and when we came along, we wanted to, the police to know exactly who we are, what we're going to do, and who we need to know, right? Yes. And uh, he, did, he connected that. That was nice. And so we start to build our little house of cards with uh, the network of myself and, and uh, Glenn and then Granto. And I think that's why the Pearl is so successful because our foundation is really organic. It's just yes. it's out of love, you know, it's a yeah. labor of love. And I think when people come into the Pearl, they really feel that. You definitely can. And it's not something you can buy with a marketing budget. And so in retrospect, pain and gnashing of teeth that we've gone through may be an advantage ultimately. Yes. Then the chief came down to see the show. It, we didn't know he was coming. Right. And back then it was just Glenn and me. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> we had spoken to the guy. He yeah. not only came to see the show, he brought his family. Right. And we're like, this could go really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it could be awesome because the show was about, you know, transvestites and <laughs> I mean it's a great show and actually in in retrospect it's a pretty innocent show you know but and he loved it you know and his family loved it and then they kept they came back three more times before the show uh, was over and so that really cemented our position for the moment yes but we I Glenn or I'd never been down that road before you know it was just sort of a miracle, magical thing. And so, yeah. So we rehearsed the show, and then Glenn had booze. We didn't have to pay for the booze. Right. We just put it up on the bar, and whatever we didn't sell, we sent back. Yeah. And so that's how it worked. We didn't have to have 100,000 RB to do it. Yeah. And then we got another show, and other people said, hey, well, this place is open. And off we went, crawling. And that's the pearl. And look mm. where it is now. Look yeah. where, it, where it's come from. Like we said right at the start of the, the podcast, you, you've got Queen, you've got Burlesque, you've got you know, all these different styles of uh, music and entertainment. and House band, Pink Floyd tonight. Yeah. Big band on the August 15th. Uh, I wanted to talk to you here as well. It says here, uh, Frank was christened the Shanghai Sinatra by his friend Yu Sai Khan. Oh, Yusai. Tell us about that. Yusai is... Owner of Miss... A legend. Yeah. <laughs> Owner of Miss Universe China. Yeah. You know, I worked... I worked with Sennheiser. They were... They had a big momentum here early on. And it, it was one night at Elefante at one of those awesome parties that it, Willie used to throw. And uh, Mark, the head of Sennheiser, who was a good friend, not here, he's in Indonesia now, called her up because he'd been working with her on something. Maybe it was Miss Universe or whatever. She does yeah. so much stuff, you can't keep up with it. Right. 
we all, it was me and Greg Smith and her and, and Mark and his wife, and we had a table in the back, and we were just drinking wine and having, you know, uh, the Iberico and all the great food there, and, yeah. and that's where I met her, if I, if I recall correctly. And then uh, she, we connected. She's super, super cool, you know. And she invited me to do a, a meditation seminar at the, uh, at the Miss Universe training thing. Right. And then I think I did a... She referred me to John, who I did his wedding six years ago, and then... Then we would just bump into each other as as I grew in Shanghai yes. and went to uh, more elaborate parties and what I would bump into her from time to time. I I sang. She hired me to sing at sing at her house a couple of times. Mm. She has a beautiful grand piano and wow. she's like, "Yeah, you're the Shanghai Sinatra." <laughs> okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to quote that. <laughs> But her story is that, I mean, she was the, she may still hold the title as the, the most watched woman on television in history. Wow. Like the mo- largest volume of people, you know? And she had, she, before Oprah had a show, she had a show like Oprah, but in China. Right. And she, uh, she then, she, she built a makeup, uh, I think she worked with Lancome and basically created makeup for for Chinese women mm. and the right colors for their skin tones and all this stuff and then sold it for a gazillion dollars besides the gazillion dollars she already Man, had and, yeah. and she you know she hangs out with Quincy Jones and David Letterman and <laughs> God know anybody she wants to, yeah. you know, and just a, a lovely gal. Mm. She's in the New York now. She she got stuck in Hawaii <clears throat> for COVID, so she just, she stayed there for a year. Oh, and then, such a tough tough, <laughs> tough spot to stay in. <laughs> and then uh, I think about a month ago or two months ago, she got she's got a really beautiful place in New York, Manhattan. Right. And. I should write her again. Yeah, definitely. For you personally, like, like with your singing, like you start off at the Pearl, but then it, it says twenty-five different uh, cities in China. So word must have spread very, very quickly. You know, with with your performance. Well, if it, I keep finding out that a lot more people know who I am than I know. Right. No, I know you know. I know you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know. Like this guy, I don't have any clue who this guy was. He's a super nice guy. Came to one of my shows the other night, and and I have this this meme of me like jamming that they, that they a friend of mine made at the at the Waldorf when I was singing at the Waldorf, and it's very simple. But he's like, you know, it's gone viral. Mm. He's like, anytime there's a classy event in town, it's got that. It's got your meme. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm. You know, I've sent it to my friends and whatever, but yeah. uh, evidently it's, it's gone gone pretty viral. Oh, really? The tour, the 25 Cities was a tour. It was the first tour I did when I was here for Shivas. 
when in the in the boom time of Chinatown, I'm, I made a, a friends with Jason Bridge, who ultimately is one of my best friends now. Wow. Super nice guy from the UK, and he runs a an event production company called Shine. And after the collapse of Chinatown, he put me on tour for Shivas. And we just went all over the country. Wow. I mean, I could pretty much name a city. Now, I didn't get to see any of them. Yeah. But I was there for a day or maybe two, depending on the venues. Yeah. So, you know, from one end to the other. Any, any second tier city, we call them first, second, third tier. You right, know. right, right, right. Uh, I mean, third tier city only has 10 million people in it, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we, I, I, we, there was a girl singer in me. She did the pop stuff and I did the, the big band stuff. And it was just like a classy night to sell this Shivas whiskey. Right. And it, what an introduction. Yeah. I mean, to different people all over China and that's what, that's what I wanted the to customs. Ask. How, how have they reacted to your sort of uh, big band sort of uh, I loved style it. of music? Yeah, most most of the ones that would be involved with it's let's what would you call it? Not KTVs. They're these huge bars that they do these massive parties in. And while uh, I would have to say their technical acuity was pretty rough, mm. like sound and whatever, uh, there they were for the most part super receptive and very nice and very friendly and generous and you know and you know they they were so thankful that they just wanted to drink with you all night yeah and then that's that's where i got my drinking training (laughs) (laughs) it's like i realize i can't drink that much whiskey right (laughs) so we're gonna put tea in this bottle and maybe at the end of the night, before I go out the door, I'll have a couple of real ones. And uh, Boyana and me. And it's the same with her. Everybody's like, oh, come drink with us, drink with us. Drink with us. You know, shot, 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 shots. Oh, that, that rice wine is... <laughs> well, I, didn't, I would not do that. If you put that with Shivas, you'll just blow up. <laughs> it would. That's rough. I, I remember one night, <clears throat> gosh, I don't know what town it was. South. And I woke up literally leaning against the door of the club and was awakened by the blazing sun on my face. (laughs) And these guys who were so friendly, you know, I don't know whether they carried me out or whether I walked out and sat down. And and I was like, I can't, you know, I just had to eat your soap. I got, ni hao. And I'm I'm trying to get a cab and, you know, it's a a little town. There's not that much taxi traffic. Mm. And I'm sure, you know, I, I always made a habit to take the, the hotel card because it was the saving grace on many occasions. <laughs> and I guess maybe I couldn't find the hotel card or what. <clears throat> anyway, so, and I'm still wearing the tuxedo. <laughs> so I'm digging around in the pockets of my tuxedo, finally find the card, and now there are taxis, and it's, you know, I don't know, 7.30 in the morning. And, yeah. And, uh. I make it back to the hotel in time to get the plane to the next stop, and that's that's typical. I mean, it's not that's a, that's an excessive, you know, yeah. occurrence. But it, it, that sort of mentality is how, just how it went for a year. Oh yeah, <laughs> rub and roll. 
It is. It's rock and roll, man. In, in, in a place where nobody's ever rock and roll. That's right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's why I asked the question how they responded to it because, you know, I get some, uh, some Chinese people to come on and they said their music was very, very limited. Like, they, they didn't listen to sort of any uh, music. So, you know, having the pool here and uh, having the Queen show, for an example, they think it's a new band, some of them. And, and you know... To see them perform like this, I love it. Oh yeah, it's it's an it's an instructional process, mm. and it's only in the last two years, just a year before COVID ish, that we've really gotten traction with the, the Chinese marketing, mm. and they not they begun to know what we have. Yes, and and this is why I'm, you know, we finally caught on fire. Uh, and you're right, but I mean, okay, this is funny because the ones, the tributes we do do, they have to have a, a, a certain amount of, a certain amount of awareness to begin with. And we, and we, we, sometimes we just take a chance, um, but we're, we're still working our way along the road of what, what people, the acumen that people like. Mm. And we've become pretty good at it, much better than in the beginning. But it's 40-year-old stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm over 40, by the way. Grant, Grant's younger than me. And he's like, people don't even... You think they don't remember what we're doing? The stuff you want to do? Nobody knows. They, don't, they know what the big band is. Yes. But when you, when you go back uh, past 1980... It's just not what Led Zeppelin, and actually we're doing some Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, but they're just massive groups. Yeah. There's so much music out there, so we have to meter which shows we do and the awareness. Mm-hmm. I think now we're almost at the point where we could. It's more about people knowing that every show they're going to see is great. Yes. Instead of we have to get the perfect show to make them come in, mm-hmm. but we're still very try to be very aware of what's appropriate what's not and I don't mean in a you know I, I just mean it's learning the cultural acuity yes. you know the, the cultural uh, appreciation and it's very different than anything else oh of course when you walk in there it's like you're just stepping back in time it's just like for the first time wow like just you want to I got the tour and, you know, Grant's oh, so passionate about, you know, telling all the stories about, um, you know, what, what happened before and what they were doing and all that. So, yeah, it's great. And I've had some friends that didn't even know that was, the pearl was there. And then when they go there, uh, like they go, wow, you know, when's the next show, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I guess part of that is due to, not having a massive marketing budget to start with, but it's also part of the success. Mm-hmm. Like the, the like they explain this sort of organic growing of it. But, but I'm still amazed. You know, I have been in or working in that building for 13 years, <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not know this place is here? Yeah. But there are 25 million people That's in this city. <laughs> There's more, more people here than there's the whole of Australia. <laughs> the entire Same. East Coast of America. That's right. Yeah. And, I, when I, went, I went, went back once, uh, 
after being here was in Oklahoma. And, you know, it's like, that's, from here to Oklahoma is like stepping into a time warp. Yes. And the friend said, are there just people everywhere? <laughs> and, it, you know, it's kind of sweet, but then you're, you're like, no, it's just like a normal city. It yeah. runs, operates like a normal city. It's, you know, except now you now there's 3,000 kinds of craft beer. Yeah, that's true. I remember trying to find a beer when I first got here, like just a draft beer, and you're like, ching down a bottle. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. In Hong Kong. And so the first place I lived in Hong Kong is about five-minute bike ride from the Pearl. Yeah. And it was, I mean, even back then, Hong Kong was like medieval compared to Shanghai, across Suzhou Creek, right? Yeah. The Bund and all that, Jing'an where I now live, and uh, gosh, I was like, wow, <laughs> this there's nothing here. It's like, what are you guys thinking? Yes. But then it, and then it all came around, and, and Hong Kong has invested more money in infrastructure and building than any part, other part of Shanghai, except maybe Pudong. That was the secret, and I, and I think that's, that's one of the major, it's one of the major parts of how the Pearl succeeded. Yeah. And they're basically t- tearing down and renovating every building around the Pearl. Yes. And now there's malls and Starbucks and, you Do you know, think that there's going to be some... Taco more... Bell, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but do you think in the future that, that street, I mean, that's screaming out for some more entertainment places, like some bars or some restaurants? Like, I don't know. You know, have, go have a dinner there. I know you have dinner at the, the Pearl, but I'm just saying, like... Maybe have like a like a bar somewhere else, and then when the show starts, I, you know. I think it's a great idea. The things you know, as much as we know that they're going to happen, they're they're not. I don't know. Sometimes they do things so fast here, and sometimes it takes a while. Yeah. I think that I mean historically, Zapalu is the it's the first street that had a show place or a cinema, and we couldn't be in a better place, you know, and. If the ghosts of entertainers care. <laughs> and if you look at the top of the street, like if you walk out the front of the Pearl on Sapalu and you turn right, at the top of the street is a round deco building that when I got here had laundry hanging outside of it and people living <laughs> in it. But what that is, is one of the original deco theaters. Yes. And they're going to renovate that in back into a theater. Is This is what we have heard. Mm-hmm. And so... The combination of that and uh, and our place and and Zapalu is a mainly walking street anyway, not a lot of traffic, but scooters and, and people that walk. And I, I think it's I think it's would be a great spot for for more you know a couple of little bars and yeah. whatever. But I also I also got told like with the pool, uh, the design of the pool outside is like you know you go in there and you sort of miss it when you walk in but I was told I said go back across the road oh yeah and check then, it out and then have a look at the the lotus flower wow it's amazing yeah isn't it? <laughs> yeah amazing, it's a uh, it's Hindu it's Hindu relief and all the all the characters on the on the facade have different Hindu meanings I mean it was a, it's a Buddhist temple yeah. you know it also has a sister temple in Tokyo that we finally got a picture of. It's huge. I yeah, mean, right. It's huge like the Summer Palace, huge, big. 
So we hope, because way back when we moved, when we moved in, when we started, um, we proposed that they, you know, they take the wires off the outside because it sat dilapidated for a long time. People just nail cables and internet and whatever <laughs> hanging all over it, and and it's slowly been cleaned up. And our, our we had a um, elevation of it. You know, all clean and sandblasted and repainted with with, with architectural lighting, and that's our goal. Yeah. So that it'll just be dazzling. Yeah. You know, because it's just been buried in crap for so long. You get people like stopping and what is this place? You know, taking pictures. Yeah. Just tourists who want to yeah. see it. I mean, yeah. it is. It's a historical landmark. Mm. What is it? Twenty nine. Built in twenty nine. Japanese architect and a German engineer before World War II. Very strange. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Buddhist... Japan, Japanese and a German in 1920. As a Buddhist temple. Yeah, wow. Wow, there's some interesting times there. Well, you know, Hong Kong's deeply historic. Mm. Like, the, 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 the Communist doctrine was written in Hong Kong. Right. The Jewish concession. Like all the all the the Jews that escaped Europe, if, wherever they went, mm. China accepted hundreds of thousands. I don't know how, what the number is, but enough for an entire concession. And then it was the Japanese concession, and it was the American concession. Oh. But the the Jewish history in Hong Kong is is monumental. There's a great Jewish museum. I don't know if you're aware of it, oh. just down the street, and uh, well worth seeing. And they've been in the fabric of Shanghai for a long, long time. Yeah, right. It's very interesting. Hong Kong's deep, man. Yeah. It has, it has, there's so many facets to it between the entertainment and the... and the, it, was, it was the old artistic community, you know, was there. So, so like I say, I think the soul of Hong Kong is perfect for what we do. Maybe that mm. has something to do with the, the gods finally smiling on yeah. us. Yeah. But it, it gets a bit of a bad rap, but, but you know, when you look at it, and, you know, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, underrated. It, it's five minutes off the bun. Yeah. And people are like, oh, Hong Kong. I remember back at, when Chinatown was there, like, oh, that's out in the country. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's five minutes from the Hyatt, which was there already. Right. You know, and that they call that North Bund. Yeah, yeah. But now there's so much over there, mm. you know. So you want to tell uh, one more time about uh, what's coming up uh, at the Pearl? What's coming up at the Pearl? Well, Pink Floyd this weekend. I'm really excited about the Supper Club night with a big band on August 15th. Eh, that's fine. And you've got shows all in between those dates as well. So, you know. Well, I have shows all over the... I usually do three or four a week. Yeah. Um, but I haven't done the big band shows since... Um, well, I did one at Jay-Z last fall. Right. It was a Tony Bennett tribute. Oh. But this is the first one at the Pearl. Because we kind of had to reassemble all our stuff after COVID, you know. And as I said earlier, we got it, we got it streamlined now. Yes. And uh, it's actually, you know, uh, in the wake of COVID, there, there are some very good uh, young Chinese musicians that we've sort of uncovered for the big band right and i think that the it's it's funny because since i've been here 
um, the, the music has, has grown. Affinity for it by the, by, by the public, but also young players. And so I'm very excited to have. We have, we have quite a few players in the band that haven't been in the scene before. And a blend of that and who's left here from the old scene. Yes. And I think that's the best way it could be. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do just shows of just one one musician? Uh, do you do like a Frank Sinatra set, or or do you what what is your set? It just depends on the show, or it depends on the show. Like uh, some some nights we like last last night at Heyday, we since nobody can travel, uh, we did songs about cities and yes. traveling. You know, which is like come fly with me and. And uh, foggy day in London town, and yes. April in Paris, and and it, it's just a theme, and people like stuff like that, they you know. It, yeah. And then, like, I have this archive of that stuff in my head. I it can make a whole show. Mm. Sometimes it's uh, we do a more ballad heavy show, or we'll do more Nat King Cole, or you know, I mean, and when you say Sinatra, man, all the songs are Sinatra. He recorded yes. everything. <laughs> That's true. really. You know, I never wanted to. When I got into the music, I didn't have any idea who Sinatra was. He did that. He did this uh, televised concert called "The Man and His Music," like '71 yeah. or three, right in there. I think I was thirteen, and I was like, "Who? Who's this guy?" <laughs> and then I kind of reversed engineered the history of it, you know. And I'm like, wow, this is the guy that goes with this music. Yeah. And it just, and I thought, that's what I want to do. He does movies, he sings, he, you know. Cheeks loving. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but then I thought, it's just an accident that my, that I'm a baritone. What if I've been a tenor? You know, I'd sound like, you know, I don't know, Chet Baker or something. And I love Chet Baker, but it ain't, it's totally different experience. Yes. So it's just it's just a sort of an accident that I happen to sound like the guy and fell in love with the music and then found him and you know. Because it's interesting, like uh, watching you play, like you, you didn't even have a set. You're just like uh, people from the crowd just like throwing songs out. You know, it's like. Okay, one, two, three. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even and there was even there was even a time there where you uh, you yeah, it was like, oh, do you know this song? It's like in the key of this, and it's like I'll work something out. <laughs> and even with the lyrics, you were just like, okay, all right, okay, I've got it. Okay, let's do it. So well, sometimes I, they're not in the front of my brain. That's right. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're kind of about midway back. There's about this. I don't know, three, four hundred songs in there. Yeah. You know? And then most That's of them, definitely. if I don't know the lyrics, I know the song and I have known the lyrics, you know. So it helps us to keep the music fresh. Yes. And then we'll take the song, we'll throw it in the Friday show because there's no request, really. And and people just like, they like to be involved, yeah, you know. Absolutely. They like that it's not so formal. And you can just go, hey, Frank, how about this one? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> or Ole will go no not that one That's, what, what was it La La Land uh, no we're not doing that <laughs> not that I have any problem with that I like the movie but 
Yeah, it was very, very cool. And like, like you said, the the fans were right into it. Uh, well, you know, we have mix been... as well, like of age groups. Oh, yeah. Because uh, like, there was not only just like the older, but there was a lot of young people there as well. Mostly was, young people. Yeah. You know, I mean, people that aren't old enough to even have been exposed to this after the music was gone. Yeah. Because it's great stuff. And most people haven't just seen some... Most people watch entertainment like a video. And so they don't... They've never seen someone entertain. Mm -hmm. And that's what that is. It's entertainment. Because you you reach out to the audience and, and you do things that aren't perfect. I'll forget a lyric because I haven't sung the song in 20 years. And, and they're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can even remember. Yeah, 300 songs. And that 300 songs reminds me also of the, the Red Stars as well. Like, they're playing... Oh, they play so much music. 400 songs, you know. And they're continually just adding new songs into the set. They work so hard. They're so awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, Alex is... He's got to be one of the top ten live guitarists I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of guitarists. Yeah. You know, a lot of great rock and roll shows. And he's, you know, he's just very good. And the fact that they can, they can hop between different styles of music. Adele you know? to ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Yes. That's why I think that's why the unplugged nights are, are really cool because they, they it's not one band. Yes. They just sing a bunch of different really cool stuff. Yeah. And stuff yeah stuff I haven't heard. Mm. You know they, they played a couple of songs and a couple of uh, it about three weeks ago and I'm like I think I think I only heard that song once. <laughs> <laughs> where are they where are they digging this stuff yeah. up? Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. And in terms of, uh, of your performances, uh, what shows do you have coming up besides your, like your regular regular stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, the most exciting is the big band show. I'm at Heyday uh, every Wednesday and Friday, and I do Lincoln Center a couple times a month, mm-hmm. usually Saturday. What is it? August twenty-first and twenty-eighth. Okay. Um, I'll be there September. Getting close to wrapping up. What does the future hold for Frank Bray? Uh, oh. you know, travel, musically. I want to expand. Yes. I hope that after COVID, the you know when when things open up again, that um, I can take what I build here and ex, ex, expand it. You know, people have started to know who I am. You know, outside of Asia and China. Well, they do. I had a guy in from New York in the club the other night. And he's like, yeah, you know, they know about you in New York. Yeah. I was like, well, when they ask me back, I'll go. When they pay me, I'll go back. Yeah. But for now, I, I, I have a, I, we have a great life here, you know. Yes. I just want to be able to get back to Europe and see my kids mm-hmm. and uh, see my friends. We're, I think we're the luckiest people in the world. Oh, of here. course, yeah. And it's just random, you know. Mm. And that that is not a political persuasion. It's just the facts, ma'am. You know. And for you, like uh, musically, like plans to write a new album or? I want to actually. You know, I keep saying this, but you know, like I was saying about having all the time during COVID and not doing anything because your head's messed up. Yeah. Uh, I I want to. I want to do a couple of more albums, but. Mm. 
lately I've had the inclination to do a country album. Really? So I, I there was a guy who's stuck here, Renee Walter, who's uh, he's actually from St. Louis, and he's he's about my age, and he's he's been a you know he toured with John Bon Jovi. He has a huge multi-million dollar management agency, yada yada. He's, uh, just quietly, he's going to be a future guest. <laughs> we're trying you to, can catch We're him. trying to organize, we've been trying to organize it for six months. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's organizing the entertainment for the Olympics. Yes, that's, that's how that's right. we're doing that thing. Yeah, that's why um, I'm catching. <laughs> that's like, just get a Skype, <laughs> get, a, get a video, come on, just give me an hour of your time just to... You so, can... I, I, I really want to record some more. Yes. And... I've been wanting to do a, wanting to get back into some acting. Right. You know, a little more, like some film acting and what. Um, haven't really found the right conduit for that. Well, I don't, I don't know where I go from here, you know. I mean, Shanghai is still a great town. It's become more legitimate. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that there used to be a lot of bullshit artists here. And it's, it, you know, there's been a distillation. The, the you know new rules aren't any different than what any other country would ask. It's just that it was wild before. Yeah. And I'm down with that. In fact, I think it's better for business. And I think it's still a good town for an entrepreneur or an entertainer when when that's available again. And uh, and is there like a? It's a very rich town. I don't mean rich. I mean it's. Has a it's got fabric. It does. I totally. Agree. I mean, it, it, I, I compare it to New York in that way because it's always been a, a cosmopolitan city. Yes. And I, I, I hope that it retains that part of itself. A good balance between the culture and the history, and as well as the modern. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, I, there's never been an assimilation of tech and information like's happened here in the last twenty years in the history of the world. Yeah. And you have to say, that's that's quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you and the people are still happy and the and it's there's no fear here, and there's and it, there are no guns. That's yeah, the safest place in the and, world. And uh, the, in that, in my book, is quality of life. You know, every government in the world, and I'm not going to get into politics, but everybody has their bullshit. Yeah. I don't, I don't care how you get the bus down the road. Just get it down the road. <laughs> and this bus is pretty good. Yeah. You know? And it, it, it's funny, because the longer you live outside, like I haven't, I haven't lived in the States since... 2007, and when you have, I'm writing a book, by the way, Come on. it's called Inside Out, I think that's it, I don't know, but it's, it's sort of about my perspective from outside America, outside the West, and from inside China, because not many people have that perspective, and people need to have it, you know, because the, the rhetoric, the propaganda is just horrific. I'm preaching it on here all the time. So, Frank, uh, social media, where, where can people find you, uh, you know, if they're not living in <laughs> Shanghai? You can, you can Google me. You can, I'm on in international, you know, internet. Uh, there's quite a bit of stuff out there. I, don't, I, I have a, a website called frankbray.com. 
Um, but I think currently it's down for renovation. I'm in the fledgling stages of sort of mastering Chinese media right. and getting getting because I got I have so many photos and so many videos that are out there. I know this, yeah. but I've always been kind of crap at assembling them, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's sort of something I I want to do much more effectively for Chinese media and yes. and buy that for Western media. Before I finish, uh, I like to ask just like uh, random questions, and you tell me like your your top four or five favorite things. Is this like? And tell me. So first one, uh, I want to like as of today, what what's your top uh, three or four uh, favorite uh, bands or artists? On Red your- Stars. <laughs> Red Stars. Well, you know, I I've been uh, Gato Barbieri play play Europa. Right. You know, the Santana song, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, the theme from Last Tango in Paris. And Billie Holiday's, you know, one of her records. Uh, I mean, that's all old stuff. I like Gaga. I like her. I think she's very talented. Oh, yeah. I think she's positive. I think, uh, she, you know. She writes her own music. And she's a pretty, <laughs> hello. Yeah. And a pretty damn good actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Films. What are your top four favorite films? Three or four type favorite films. I really like Django. Yes. I like Tarantino stuff. I just watched a, No Sudden Moves. It's that's a great. Last question, Frank. Who is your inspiration uh, slash hero? Sinatra has inspired me, but I don't think he deserves the term. <laughs> and I and I have a, a good friend who's almost 85 now, Ron Elliott, mm-hmm. uh, who I met here from, who trained to be an astronaut and flew three, ah. two, got shot down three times in, in Vietnam and flew for Delta and flew for the CIA. And he's just, he was, if there's a, a hero and he's a solid, good person, right? Mm-hmm. And I always, when I, when I send him a message, I always say, how you doing, hero? Because he's like the typical, was a doctor, was a crop duster when he was 16, lied about his age, and he's like the great American story. I think that's... I think that's my hero. Yeah. Ron Elliott. Because he's, he, and to this day, he's like, I should write a book about all this stuff. I mean, he, he told me some stories. And he's like, I can't write the book because there are people out there that I just can't can't hear the truth. Yeah. Know? I get offended too easy. But, uh, what a, what a broad, wonderful character, you know? That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still out there and he works out every day. And, yeah. And he's got a ranch down in Florida and he still flies and he's got like a 28 year old girlfriend. <laughs> he trained, oh, he, he trained for Apollo for Christ's sake. <sighs> yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll make Ron Elliott my hero. Oh, awesome. All right, Frank, thank you very much for your time. I think we could have talked for another another two days. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Not I mean, enough beer, but... There, uh, <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of bits in between all this. Oh, yes, that we just skip, skip by. But uh, maybe uh, when you do uh, your new album or, you know, a book or a screenplay, <laughs> hint, yeah. hint, 
Uh, you can come back on and we, sure, sure. we can do it all over again. We'll talk about it. But, uh, My pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for your yeah. time. <laughs> Cheers. You know no one can see us shaking hands, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I just do it anyway. Are you videoing me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world. But I can also tune into you. Tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic.